everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you this evening. And uh, well, we really don't have a guest because he's normally our panelist, but uh, Jordan McLeod will be uh, our guest tonight. We're putting him in the guest chair and uh, Jordan works at the Southeast uh, Regional Climate Center. And uh, he was able to put together a look back at 2020. I know 2020 has been a crazy year for everybody. So I think we're going to wipe our hands of 2020 after tonight and throw it away. And uh, we're going to kind of go over some of the weather details. And once you uh, listen to this presentation, I think you're going to be amazed at all the activity that happened here in the Carolinas over the last year. So, Jordan, I know you've been working hard to prepare this document and uh, we're uh, excited to see your information tonight. But uh, before we do that, tell us a little bit about the Southeast Climate uh, Regional Climate Center and uh, kind of what you guys do on a day-to-day -day basis there. Sounds good. Thanks, Scotty. Um, yeah, so I'm an employee at the Southeast Regional Climate Center. It's located in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, it's been there for, let's see, over a decade now, I believe, uh, since moving in from Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, it's one of six regional climate centers across the country, and they're funded by NOAA, uh, specifically under the uh, NCEI, National Centers for Environmental Information. They oversee uh, the regional climate centers and their activities. Um, we specialize in all types of climate data, um, and we take that data and try to provide meaningful um, tailored information based off of that. So uh, we participate and directly produce monthly, seasonal, and annual reports. And the annual report is what we'll be talking about mostly tonight. Um, and we also specialize in tool development. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, really interesting climate-related tools in production. Uh, one of them, which is climate perspectives, which I'll demo that a little bit tonight as I'm talking. Um, and uh, finally, we do a little bit of research as well on the side, mostly applied research uh, to different sorts of health outcomes um, and, and other types of, of research there. So that's kind of a broad overview of what we do at, at the CERC, as we call it. Well, you guys definitely have uh, your hands full. I know, uh, speaking of the Southeast, Kind of tell us that I know you cover North and South Carolina, but what's the other states you guys cover? So we ex, uh, extend all the way from uh, basically Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, uh, and Florida, and also Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. We can't forget about them in the Caribbean. So are you going to be signing up if there's a, a satellite office in uh, Dominican Republic or the, the Virgin Islands? Are you going there, Jordan? Because that sounds like a good place to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. Uh, San Juan this time of the year sounds pretty nice compared to what we're getting, but no, it's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anytime I can see the ocean, it's about 80 degrees. It's perfect for me. So That's right. Um, all right, well, let's get on with our conversation. Uh, Frank, I know uh, you have some uh, temperatures you want to kind of talk about. Right. Well, I've heard that we've seen a lot of above average temperatures across the Carolinas that seemed especially true for parts of the fall here. So I'll let you give us the details on that. And if you could break it down by season, I think that would be an interesting way to look at it. Absolutely. Um, so let me share my screen if I'm able to do that. So this is our climate perspectives tool uh, at CERT.com, which is, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about this at the end, how to reach our website and all, but uh, this is one of our most popular tools that was developed. Um, and it's just a way to kind of get a glimpse of what 
uh, recent historical climate conditions have been across the southeast, uh, whether it's temperature or precipitation. Those are the only two variables right now that we have, but there's uh, hope maybe in the future there's plans to expand that. Um, so this is a way um, just to kind of get a sense of where we stood last year. So from January 1st to December 31st, these were the mean temperature rankings uh, across the southeast uh, for the region. And um, just kind of zooming in on the Carolinas a little bit, um, you can see that there were, you know, pretty significant uh, rankings for most of the states. Um, Asheville came in at second warmest. Uh, Raleigh-Durham tied for fifth warmest. Uh, as you approach the coast, that's where the um, more extreme heat uh, really took place. You see there Cape Hatteras actually recorded their warmest year on record. Uh, Charleston came in tied at third. Uh, Wilmington came in at third. So there were quite a few substantial anomalies uh, in terms of temperature across, uh, across the Carolinas. And what really drove this, as I kind of dug into the data a little bit deeper, is um, daily minimum temperatures were really off the charts uh, for, the, for the region, um, particularly in the Carolinas as well. Um, so I'll switch over to looking at, if we want to look at just the average minimum temperatures, you see the rankings are even higher, um, if that's, you know, given that that's even possible. It's hard to believe, but uh, you see Asheville there at Number one, a uh, lot of ones across the Carolinas, um, including Cape Hatteras as well, if I scroll over there. Um, so we had a lot of um, days in which the uh, persistent cloud cover and tropical moisture were streaming up into the region. Um, and so this really drove having night, nighttime minimum temperatures that were suppressed across the region. Um, so they were, you know, we weren't able to get as much radiational cooling uh, because of the cloud cover, um, and so you know this drove the minimum temperatures to be much higher uh, than we would expect. Um, Jordan, quick question here: um, looking yeah. at all this data, how far back does this data go? I mean, I assume some of these stations might be older than others for the entire region, but we have you know ones and twos. But how far back are we talking? Are we talking sixty years, eighty years? So yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so the, the minimum threshold for a station to be included in climate perspectives is 20 years of data. Um, but a lot of the stations can be, uh, I think like for, for example, Hatteras, you see, if you click on it, it tells you the number of years uh, period for each station. So Hatteras actually has 125 years of, uh, worth of data for that station. So it just depends on a station by station basis, but 20 years is kind of the cutoff for stations right. that are included. Yeah. So a higher rank for a station with that much historical data is pretty significant. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's really, and I think Asheville's one of the longest periods, yeah, 126 years at Asheville. So yeah, those, those having number one rankings with that many years of data is, is a, an extreme anomaly for sure. Well, then Jordan, I'll hop in with the precipitation questions because I know we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. Um, it was a busy year. There's records that almost fell. There's records that did fall. Um, so can you just, we'll start with the general synopsis and overview, I guess, of precipitation patterns in 2020 in the Carolinas and in the Southeast. 
Sounds good. So I'll start with, I think this uh, image really uh, captures what happened last year uh, in terms of precipitation across the region, especially the Carolinas. This is just remarkable to me to see a, um, and let me scroll up just a little so you can see the, uh, the title of this map. So this is 2020 annual departure from normal precipitation. So breaking that down, it's basically just, you know, taking the annual precipitation totals and then calculating, um, you know, how far away from the average for a particular location was that precipitation total. And so we can do that. And this is a gridded product. Um, so we do that for each grid box. And so it's just astounding to see such a large area coverage across the Carolinas that are anywhere from 12 to more than 20 inches above normal uh, for the year. And that's, you know, much of the Western Carolinas, but even parts central and Eastern parts of the state saw some uh, pretty significant anomalies as well. And that has to do with the remarkable tropical cyclone season that we saw, uh, not exclusively. We also saw just a busy year of, of typical synoptic weather systems. Uh, but the, certainly the tropical cyclones just uh, added to the, the, the wet misery for a lot, of, a lot of people, including farmers in particular. Um, so if we take a look at a, a different look at this, uh, this is the climate perspectives look. And again, this is showing um, annual precipitation rankings for each of those stations that we talked about earlier for temperature. And you can see, I mean, this, uh, this whole is lights up like a Christmas tree with all these green um, boxes indicating, you know, wetter than average conditions across much of the Carolinas. I'll zoom in a little bit so you can kind of get a better sense of, of the region and places like Hickory uh, near, near you, Scotty. Uh, and actually, I think Morganton is one of the stations. Uh, they were at second wettest, 120 years at that station. Um, Went uh, Greensboro, the triad came in at number two, just barely below their wettest year on record. Uh, Lumberton, number one. So again, just a lot of ones and twos and threes uh, across this area. Uh, Jordan, just, yeah. Could you uh, flip it? Because this is, I use this tool all the time. Uh, could you flip it to the departures from normal and, and show the folks? I mean, there's some crazy numbers, especially for Hickory. I think it's 30 Absolutely. plus inches. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about, uh, let's see, you have Morganton 20, uh, 27.2. But yeah, you're, you're right. Hickory's even more at 34 uh, uh, inches above normal. So just, where's that one? 69. Holy moly. That strikes me. You think that might be? That QC, might be an error. QC error. Okay. I think so. I think that is actually on accident showing the actual precipitation total rather than the departure. So that that's just a, a glitch in the system there. Good. Gotcha. I'm glad you noticed that. I'll be sure to mention that. But uh, but yeah, the story the story is just extreme uh, departures from normal across the region. Jordan, um, you know, looking at these these averages and these anomalies, I mean, this this is incredible. Um, of course, we're going to get into we're going to get into some of the tropical discussion, which we know contributed to this. But, but before we get there, I want to just talk about some of the negative impacts from this amount of rainfall for these record setting uh, rainfalls for some of these areas. Um, you know, we understand watershed effects, but maybe talk about that a little bit um, for our audience here. You know, what what sort of negative impacts do we get from this much rain? I mean, people think, oh, well, that's good. There's no drought. Well, there's a, there's also a, an impact on the other side of the scale with too much rain. So if you, if you could tell us a little bit about that. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think probably one of the biggest impacts of having too much rain is uh, for the agricultural industry. Um, I think that, you know, farmers really suffer from having too much water pooling and flooding their fields that, you know, this is the, t you know, well, really getting back into the fall and, and early winter season is when they're out in the fields trying to harvest their crops. And so, you know, they're not able to get their heavy equipment out in these fields if they're flooded and or the ground is overly saturated. Uh, so that's, you know, that can be a, a huge uh, factor for them trying to, you know, get their crops in for harvesting. It's, it also introduces a lot of uh, disease issues. Uh, so you can get, um, you know, things, all sorts of, of different, um, you know, um, uh, fung fungus and bacterial related diseases that develop on these late season crops. And so uh, those are, you know, two, two huge issues that I can think of off the top of my head that, that would be, you know, significant impacts from the wetness. And what, what sort of uh, crops do you recall, do you have any of that in your report as well as to what, what was affected specifically? Yeah, a lot of the uh, biggest impacts I saw were for the traditional row crops. So things like cotton, soybeans, uh, corn, um, you know, uh, in the Carolinas, uh, sweet potatoes were probably impacted. Oh, peanuts, uh, this getting a little, little outside the region, although South Carolina does specialize in peanut production as well. Um, so a lot of a lot of your kind of farm to table, uh, you know, crops that you think of, those are the ones that really took a hit. While we're on precip, uh, maybe talk about some of the severe weather impacts that we saw. So if we want to talk about severe weather, there were um, nearly 1,100 severe weather reports across the Carolinas during the year, um, which was, you know, a pretty active year, really severe weather-wise for the Carolinas. Um, we had anything from, you know, lots of damaging thunderstorm wind reports. The vast majority of those 1100 reports would be associated with thunderstorm winds. Um, two of the bigger um, thunderstorm wind events that I gathered uh, for the report were on January 13th of 2020. We had a microburst uh, in Sampson County, North Carolina that damaged a school uh, it partially uplifted part of the wall uh, of the school's gymnasium, causing it to collapse. And unfortunately, that resulted in three injuries. Uh, the wind speeds for this event were estimated at 85 miles per hour, so a very significant uh, microburst. And then we also had uh, damaging straight line winds and a associated gust nato, which is just, it's not a strictly a tornado, but it's this... Um, large or this uh, rather this localized area of wind on the on the kind of the outskirts of of the downburst from a thunderstorm that you know causes this kind of twisting uh, motion that makes it look almost like a, a small tornado but uh, anyway it was observed in Lancaster County South Carolina with highest estimated gust of 105 miles per hour so uh, very very strong uh, there um, the largest uh, hailstones that were observed during the year were teacup size. So this is about three inches in diameter. And we saw these in Darlington County, South Carolina on May 5th. So, um, and Jordan, uh, yeah. to, to get you, I want to kind of rewind back for our viewers. Um, I know COVID kind of put everybody in a tailspin, but 
that severe weather that you were talking about in January, and then we had another outbreak in February, uh, which produced a tornado <laughs> just south of uh, Uptown Charlotte. Um, it was a pretty big severe weather event, and um, I believe it was uh, close to uh, the highest tornado count for the state of South Carolina, I believe, is, uh, is what we were approaching for 2020. Exactly right. Yeah, that was one of the, definitely one of the superlatives uh, for the year. Um, so we had 109 tornadoes confirmed across both North and South Carolina. 61 of those tornadoes uh, were confirmed in South Carolina alone, making that the state's second highest annual count just behind uh, 2004, which observed 86 tornadoes. Uh, and the reason that year had so many was, again, another very busy tropical cyclone season. So, um, you know, it's interesting that the two top years for tornado production in South Carolina happened to be two very active tropical cyclone years, which we know that tropical cyclones can also produce tornadoes uh, as well. So thought that was an interesting nugget. And, and Jordan, talking about, I know you this is Carolina-based, but you were looking at all of Southeast. There's been a lot of um, talk and data. We, we know the tornado alley in, in, the, in the plains. Uh, we know there's a tornado alley in, in, the, in the deep south, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, and then kind of Carolina alley, which is, you know, central eastern North Carolina and, and central and eastern South Carolina. But how, how did the Southeast overall rank in, in severe weather reports? I think it was a pretty down year for the plains. In fact, I think there's places of can Kansas that didn't even see a tornado watch for the 2020 season. So how did the Southeast uh, kind of fare in, in the severe weather season? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a relatively quiet year in the plains, but in contrast, it was a very busy year across much of the Southeast. Uh, it was, you know, kind of a dipole pattern. If you, you know, think about it that way, um, you know, uh, busy in the Southeast, quiet in the plains. Um, I think if memory serves me right, that the Southeast as a whole uh, uh, registered its sixth greatest tornado count uh, with records going back to 1950. So a uh, pretty active year for tornadoes. I think we had 299 tornadoes confirmed across the region. So just one, just off of 300. Um, so yeah, it, it, what we saw in the Carolinas was very much uh, emblematic of what we saw across the, the larger Southeast. And, and kind of tease at that, um, for those who are watching, we're going to have a show later on this year uh, with some of the National Weather Services in South Carolina with Greer, Columbia, and Charleston kind of talking about the 2020 a tornado season and uh, I know Shay's been working with some folks as as have I and the weather service in Greenville Spartanburg so we're, we're looking forward to that show and just kind of the the stuff they've been going through uh, dealing with these these tornadoes so Shay I know the big story out of everything is the tropics and so I'm going to give it to our tropic guy to ask the tropic questions sure so um yeah one quick correction I just looked up the day it was actually 114 miles an hour not 105 I was thinking of another from uh, uh Hurricane Isaias or icy isis whatever you <laughs> funny how how that name got got construed that way but either way um yeah myrtle beach that was um that was pretty strong stuff but leading into the tropics jordan i mean we all watched as, as a, a grueling season unfolded especially for the gulf louisiana in particular um we saw how powerful the caribbean could be but the ultimate result is these systems in the gulf ultimately come up and they affect the southeast region 
especially the higher terrain in the mountains, right? Because as they sweep up and around the Bermuda High, um, we saw time and time again, systematic dumps of rain and severe weather over and over again. So tell us, uh, I mean, I, we, we got a third of the way through the Greek alphabet. I'm not going to go to every single storm here, obviously, but what's your take on how the tropics affected the Southeast region? Yeah, they certainly had a tremendous impact uh, on the on the weather and climate of 2020 for the Southeast. And so as I went back and kind of looked over the season as a whole, I found that nine tropical cyclones had at least some small, you know, at least a, a minimal impact on the Carolinas uh, during the year, bringing, you know, high winds, heavy rain, inland flooding, storm surge, and even tornadoes uh, to the Carolinas. And so, you know, I wish we honestly, we could have a whole show dedicated to the tropical cyclone season uh, for the Carolinas, but, you know, I won't go through every single one, but I wanted to bring out, you know, a couple of the big, uh, the big players uh, for the region. Um, so as you just mentioned, Shay, you know, Hurricane Isaias was one of the bigger uh, storm impacts uh, during the year, making landfall near Ocean Isle Beach back on August 3rd. Uh, with peak sustained winds of 85 miles per hour and a maximum wind gust that was measured at Federal Point, North Carolina of 99 miles per hour. So very impressive there. Um, unfortunately, you know, we saw some storm surge impacts, uh, eight and a half to nine and a half feet, uh, unfortunately destroyed a lot of sand dunes and some sea turtle nests uh, in Oak Island, North Carolina. One of the biggest stories of, the, of Isaias was the tornado outbreak that accompanied it. Uh, we had a total of 22 tornadoes spawned by that storm, including a rare EF3 tornado that caused two fatalities and 14 injuries in Bertie County, North Carolina on the 4th of August. Uh, so Isaias was definitely one of the big uh, primetime storms uh, during August, you know, near the peak of the season that had a subs uh, significant impact. But I think another one that's definitely worth mentioning is Tropical Storm Ada, uh, which came later in the season on November 11th and 12th. Uh, we saw a, an interaction of Ada with an approaching cold front that um, basically ringed out a lot of tropical moisture across the Carolinas. We saw anywhere from three to more than eight inches of rainfall across portions of the area. And one of the more significant uh, spots was the Rocky Mount Wilson area of eastern North Carolina. Uh, they saw a two-day total of 9.84 inches uh, there at the regional airport. Uh, happened. They also recorded their second wettest day for any month on record. It's a short period of record, only going back to 2000, but nonetheless, you know, very significant rainfall. Um, lots, you know, numerous roads were flooded across North Carolina, including the closure of I-95 across uh, near Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, dozens of swift water rescues, uh, and we saw one of the more iconic uh, impacts of, of any of the uh, storms during the year was the uh, flooding at a campground in Alexander County, North Carolina, where we had five flood-related fatalities. Uh, they were trapped and by the floodwaters and unable to escape, unfortunately. So, um, you know, those, I think Ada and uh, Isaias, along with, you know, the other seven uh, that, that impacted the region, those were kind of the two headliners in my estimation. Wow, just incredible. And so now we have a situation where, you know, the rain hasn't let up. We still have, uh, 
you know, overabundance of precip, the, the soil content saturated. And, uh, you know, here we go into 2021. And so, you know, we're, we're not totally sure about what 2021 is going to bring, but um, how much, in your opinion, in the Southeast region for some of these higher areas have experienced too much rain? How much does it take to start the flooding process again? I mean, do people need to be on guard for two inches of rain from here on out until further notice or what, what's the opinion there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I would say that there is definitely needs to be a heightened awareness of uh, river flooding going into the, uh, you know, late winter and early spring months. That That is really the time of the year in the southeast where we see some of the more significant river flooding occur. Uh, you know, as we uh, get, you know, synoptic systems that drop a, a wide coverage of relatively, you know, moderate to heavy rainfall over a broad area, that can be very problematic for a watershed that's already saturated. Um, the, you know, one, I guess one possible encouraging aspect is, you know, we're, we're in this La Nina right now, although it hasn't really been behaving much like a La Nina. We, we're seeing a lot of troughing over the eastern U.S. with a lot of systems coming in from the Pacific and, you know, dumping, dumping more rainfall across the southeast. And so typically in a La Nina, you'd expect to see um, warmer and relatively drier conditions. But, you know, we, we, we can certainly still hope for that. But the pattern that we've been locked into lately um, has, has not really resembled what we typically see with a La Nina. So I think I think that um, we do need to be careful of, of river flooding heading out over the next couple of weeks. And so Jordan, uh, talking about all the rain and the tropical activity, um, pretty much means we didn't really have a drought this year, but uh, some of your research I found um, really crazy. It, I'll, I'll let you share it, but uh, we kind of broke a record too in the drought department. Yeah, we did. I there were records all over the place. Um, and so, yeah, this is the first time that North Carolina has remained drought free during an entire year since 2014. And it's the first time South Carolina has remained drought free during an entire year since the beginning of uh, the U.S. drought monitor in 2000. So, you know, basically looking all the way back through the available period of record for the U.S. drought monitor, which, by the way, is a, is a great product for tracking um, you know, the drought conditions across the U.S. Um, you know, basically, this is the first time we've seen South Carolina be completely drought-free for an entire year um, since 2000. So, yeah, the wetness, again, was, it, you know, it was the, the headliner for 2020, without a doubt. I think that's one record we'd like to continue to see is no drought for any portion of the Carolina. Uh, droughts are never a good thing. So uh, as we close up, uh, folks want to kind of dive into this information a little bit more. I know you're showing the, the Klimper mat uh, a little bit earlier. Um, how, how can we access this? Where's the best place to, to view it at, Jordan? Yeah, so this is the homepage for uh, CERT.com, which is the Southeast Regional Climate Center's homepage. Uh, we've got a lot of links and uh, moving maps here, as you can kind of see it scroll through on its own. Um, lots of different things, you know, links over here on the right-hand side uh, are different. Uh, here's our quarterly report right here, our annual reports located here, and our uh, monthly report, latest monthly report for December is located here at the top. And uh, so those, that's where you can kind of uh, access that. Another Another way to access it is just to go here to climate data and then monthly seasonal climate information. 
And once you do that, scroll to the bottom and you can get, um, you can basically choose from this drop down menu, all of our reports going back many, many, you know, all the way back to 2017. We actually have them archived even further back than that if you're interested. So, um, so that's the homepage. Um, and the, uh, by the way, the climate perspectives tool is also located under climate data as well. Um, so that's kind of our website. Um, and uh, if you want to, uh, if I can plug myself, uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, MickWeather1989. So M-C-W-E-A-T-H-E-R-1989. Uh, that's how you follow me on Twitter. Happy to talk about any of this uh, in further detail. Well, Jordan, we appreciate your, your time of sharing this. Hopefully the hot seat wasn't too bad. We're, we'll, we'll be happy to have you back on this side of the, uh, the table for our next show, but appreciate all that, uh, all the information. Definitely go check out the website. I'd love using the map. Uh, I use it a lot throughout the year. Uh, it's a great uh, way to get quick information uh, and a lot of reporting stations around the Carolinas. So with that, we're going to, if I had paper here with throw 2020 away in the trash can and uh, we look forward to hopefully a, uh, a better 2021, at least in the weather department, maybe not as many floods and severe weather and hurricane events, but uh, if they are, we'll be here to cover them. So Jordan, once again, thank you. And thank everyone at the uh, Southeast Regional Climate Center for all the hard work you all are doing. Uh, tell everyone we said hello and uh, we uh, appreciate you guys watching and we will see you next time here on the Carolina Weather Group.